0: here's the thing man i'm not without my charms but like I'm, I'm a very deadpan dry guy if you're gonna put me in a role maybe play to that but this dude put me in like some violent what was it the jail it was a jail warden who was basically like scolding a dude to like go back to his cell. Now, if I got that assignment, I would just play it like me, just, you know, because I think that would be funny. But at the time, I was like, all right, deal, and I guess I got to get the character here. And then I listen to it now, and I'm like, it's so bad. It's so bad. It just sounds like it sounds like karaoke, you know? Like, it sounds like it's very obvious I was not intended for that role.
1: So this has changed in, uh, over the course of the few months. So now what I've been saying is uh, it's really a, a... It's three years in the life of LaRange. Over the course of a very specific window of time, watching him go through this experience, you get to learn a lot more about him, but really it's three years in the life of Larange. That's my one-line pitch.
0: In terms of sort of the reality of being sort of mono It's much more impactful in my personal life than it is in my musical one, because I have a lot of ways that I can work around it as a musician. I do a lot of things from frequencies that I can't hear very well by touch. It's all vibrations. So if there are frequencies I can't hear and I'm looking for intonation or if I'm looking for harmony or dissonance, I I often I'll just do it by putting my hand next to the speaker.
1: I remember I was like six
2: you just re- keep the realization early? I guess so. I remember it. I do remember it distinctly. It, it started because there's a balloon guy who works at Chick-fil-A. He's this guy who uh, decided at some point that he wanted to dedicate his life to making balloons for children. And I think he is hurting children. He's hurting them. He's approaching children and saying, hey, I'm making something for you. This is a gift. This is yours. This is your responsibility. And at two years old, this may be one of your first experiences, having that sort of responsibility. Maybe you have a stuffed animal. Maybe you have a dog. Even if you've experienced loss, it's vague. You don't fully understand it. But then you have this little balloon, and it's yours. And that's your job, to take care of that balloon. And there are one of two things that happens. It pops, and that's your fault. You did that. You get to see that death in front of you, and you get to feel that, uh, that loss, that, that hollowness. Or you get to hold on to it, and cherish it, and make sure that it's protected and that it's kept safe. And then you get to witness entropy, which is also a new concept for a child. So you get to see the gradual death of this thing that you've invested yourself in over a few days. There's no good outcome from balloons. Betrayal, it's it's like the first time life betrays you.
1: That's like a perfect example. Like he used to say that kind of shit to me and I'd just be like, who the hell are you? Why are you not on camera saying like, this is brilliant and so weird and unique. Like I don't know anybody who- thinks like that, much less is able to like articulate himself like that. He's a very articulate guy. Laurent is a very smart person. That's one of the best parts about shooting him, especially in an interview style. So he's just always going to hit on not only something profound, but hit on it in a very unique way. That's what you're looking for in a talk subject.
0: If there are multiple noises happening, I can't separate them. It's impossible. I just hear them as a big wall of sound, which was really prohibitive when I'm in social places like a show. On the last tour, I was extremely introverted after the shows, which is kind of only one small part of my personality. Normally, I would try to embrace people. I'm, I'm comfortable doing it, but I just I can't if I can't see your face, if I can't read your lips or if I can't hear it, you know, it's it's very, very difficult for me.
1: And so what's gonna happen?
2: Uh, uh, just like, um...
1: What are you gonna do if you can't make music?
0: Like, uh... uh,
2: Bridges. Just like, just jumping off a bridge. Something like that. Yo, T-Bone, did you produce this? Sounds good, right?
1: I'm Zach Ashkett. I'm a film editor from Baltimore, now living in Los Angeles. made my first movie, The Mad Rider.
3: What made you want to make the film? Because it doesn't feel like an easy film to make at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Really, just his personality was what made me want to make the movie. Like, I've known him since I was like 13 years old. We went to a summer camp in North Carolina. It was like an arts conservatory summer camp. We just lived across the hall from each other. We just randomly were put like in a dorm room across the hall from each other. And we have similar kind of sense of humor and personality, I think. We're similarly antisocial. So we kind of hated everybody on the hall except each other. I just always thought he kind of spoke like a movie. I don't know how else to say it but that. I just kept thinking, somebody's gonna make a film on this guy, if, if not me. And I badly wanted to make a film, so I started hounding him to you know, let me start shooting. About a month in, he called me with this issue he was having with his ear, and it totally spun everything into a different direction in terms of what we were shooting. Have I
4: told you what's going on with my ear
2: in the last week? No. Uh, well, I got a cold. Like, it took a lot out of me. Like, I started getting real dizzy, and, like, my ear just, it felt really fucked up. And then my ear started bleeding, and uh, it has been doing that since. And I, and I was freaking the fuck out. I don't think bleeding from your ear is a normal thing.
1: Do you know what's causing the bleeding at all? No, I have no
2: fucking clue. Which just scary as hell. I
1: mean, when I say
3: I've been bleeding for my ear, I don't mean, like, a little bit. I mean, like, I have to get new sheets. How did you navigate it? Because, like, obviously, you you know, a friend comes to one of us with, like, you know, this is a problem I'm going through. You've got that little barrier of having the camera in between I like had. I just. I just wondered, like you know, just just what you felt and how and how you approached it then, and that's because it's a difficult situation to be in. I, well, it was weird, man. I mean, I, th- that's the best
1: way I can describe it. Is it was a strange experience. Like, obviously, as a close friend for many years, I was like very frightened for him. This is clearly going to impact his life in a serious way, and I, from what I, the little limited information I had about what he was going through. It sounded like he was on a long road here. He still was gonna let us film. He was still so open and so willing. It was a lot of emotions at once. It felt like we had maybe stumbled onto something here. Like, you you know you've hit on something that will work in terms of the film. It was really scary and I I didn't wanna totally alienate Austin by having him feel like I was exploiting like a really real thing happening to him for the purpose of making a film that he did not care about well they're the best
3: bits of the film for me like the best bits of film when is he when he's being a prick to you
1: yeah yeah i mean he's always giving me shit like that that's just always been kind of our dynamic at one point a couple of years back i showed him like a 10 minute section and he was just like this is horrible like you've you've made the worst thing in the world And it was all because he was, you know, it was like very, here's how I get into my headspace to make the music and here's the brilliance of me and he's not that guy. And so it was like important for him that it felt authentically
0: like his personality. For me, I'm very protective of other people when I talk about my hearing loss because my hearing loss is just like genetic or bad luck. I had a tumor in my ear over the course of three surgeries, they were removing it and trying to rebuild my ear. And then after the second one failed, they were like, okay, so you know, we, we're gonna stop trying to repair this because it keeps coming back. If we keep doing this, it's gonna be pointless or worst case scenario, it's just gonna come back and it's gonna kill you. So they just removed my ear. It's called a mastoidectomy where they just literally removed the inner workings of my right ear.
1: filming kind of stopped towards the end of the last surgery so we don't have on camera any of the ways he makes music now but it's certainly like much more vibration based and it's much more about like feeling the music which is so fascinating to me because it's how I always kind of imagined his expertise was coming from anyway like that was always his special sauce it's just now it's more of his only sauce, it seems, but he's, I mean, like you said, I feel like he's making the best music he's ever made now, which is insane. And I wonder if just some of the adversity in life that he's lived over the last decade is part of that. Life lived gives you something to write about. And I think he's certainly in a different and deeper place.
4: Yo, it's your man, Salem Brigham. One half of that dynamic duo, Marlo. I'm the loud half and the proud half. I think most people will believe that, I mean, with him going through that severe surgery and having major hearing loss, that that's something we're consciously fighting against and conscious of when we're in the lab. You would never know unless you bring it up that he suffers from severe hearing loss. When I first heard about it, I was I was ready to you know talk about how it would affect him musically, but it was never anything like that. He did a good job of figuring out ways to not be limited, and I'm, I'm always floored every time I work with him. And then I'll just randomly think, "Oh yeah, he also can't hear." <laughs> I don't know what's that. Yeah, and I'm I think it's, you know it's just amazing what he does. It's another you know just another thing that puts me in awe of him. But it's not a I wouldn't consider it a limitation in any regard. I've never seen a drop off of anything. I think he's just getting better and better.
3: I want to thank Zach Kashkitt for speaking to me. His film about L'Orange, called The Mad Writer. It's currently doing the festival circuit. I know it's getting a release in the UK sometime in the next year. But just search The Mad Writer and watch that space. And of course, I'll remind you when it's out. You also heard from L'Orange himself and Sodom Brigham. Together they are a group called Marlow. Those interviews were recorded, I think, late last year. Thanks for listening. Remember to like and subscribe. This episode was produced by me, Tom Wally, and the music came courtesy of Epidemic Sound.
2: Yo T-Bone, did you produce this? Sounds good, right?